and welcome to our first investing show of 2021. I'm Peter Switzer and I have a very good feeling about stocks this year. The likes of Goldman Sachs has predicted a 13% rise in US stocks this year and AMP Capital's Shane Oliver thinks our market can outperform Wall Street. That's a hard call to actually test but I'd be surprised if our market doesn't put on say 10% over the year and when you throw in dividends and franking credits a 15% plus gain is on the cards. But that's what you might get if you bought the index via an exchange traded fund. But here we will try to pinpoint companies that have a great upside potential. And so we'll kick off with a number of those stocks that start in 2020. We'll first look at these with chart expert Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities to see if the objective technical analysis gives these stocks the thumbs up or the thumbs down for 2021. We will then uh, see what the fund manager from Berman Invest, Julia Lee, has to say about these very same stocks. And then my colleague, Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report, will give us a few of his favorite income paying stocks for 2021. And we'll finish off looking at the microcap speculator stock, Aveco Biotechnology, with the CEO of the company, Dr. Paul Gavin. Well, joining me now is Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities. And Mike has uh, looked at a lot of the charts of the stocks that we've looked at over 2020. But as 2021 starts, here are some of the stocks that were star performers, uh, had some interesting uh, achievements in 2020. And I want to see what the charts are saying about these companies going into this new trading year. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Okay. Now, this is technical stuff, but the bottom line is, is this company looking good or is it looking bad according to the charts? And here's a company that's been regarded as a great company. It's had a tough year last year. Mm. Um, the, you know, the, the, the coronavirus wasn't great for this company. Atrium Milk, what are the charts saying now, mate? So, I mean, as we can see, it's, it's tumbled quite, um, quite spectacularly, I suppose, in the last six months. It's halved in value. So, obviously, the chart mostly doesn't look good. Yeah. Um, but look, the one thing I did notice was on that downgrade in December, and we could see it gapping down there yeah. towards $10. Um, it's interesting to see that it obviously fell a lot on that particular day, but the selling didn't continue on for days after. So what I found is um, in the past when a stock does that, it usually means that that $10 level must be pretty good buying support because at the end of the day, what they released I don't think was, you know, earth shattering. It wasn't that news. scary, it was, was it? No. I mean, we, we sort of would suspect it anyway. Mm. So, in terms of the chart, mostly negative, but that particular day is interesting to see that it only fell for that one day. It did try to bounce um, and it has come back. That's normal. I think mm. it'll, I think what will probably happen here is this will bounce around for maybe several more weeks yeah. um, and then it may well start to head higher again. Yeah. So it is actually quite encouraging that price action. Last so you're few weeks. looking for, is a base starting to be formed around yeah. $10? And, and I guess for the short term player, it, it, it might not be the right time. It might go mm. a bit lower, but maybe for the longer term player, this $10 base formation could be a really important thing if they want to make money over time. Yeah, exactly. If you don't mind that you might invest in it now and it's dead money for several weeks while mm. it does nothing. Mm. I mean, if you have a bit of patience, yeah. it so far it's showing me that it probably will be a good level for a okay. milk. Good, good, interesting first sign. Let's go to Elmo Software, that's E-L-O, mm. which wasn't a bad rock group of its time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what does this say, mate? Um, 
look, this this looks fine to me. I, you know, it's since that September low, it's been making the higher highs, higher lows. Mm. A few times, it's it's been sold off sharply, but then it has reversed quite nicely again. So, look, at the end of the day, I'm not uh, seeing anything too negative. It's not, you know, the most bullish-looking chart either. No. Um, but ultimately, this is a company that. You know, looking at this chart, I'd be happy to hold because indications are it, will, it should just continue to, to edge yeah. higher. Yeah, and it seems to me this is a company that's going to do, do much better when business um, is back to normal. And yeah. we're still a long way off normal. Australia's far ahead of many other countries. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm happy to see that there's an upward trend. For yeah, and the market will price that in, of course, in, yeah. you know, the, in the future. Next company is EML. Now, this is a company that would really l love to see open borders Lots of shopping centres and, yeah. and opening carrying on. What's it telling you now, Mike? Um, look, this chart's actually not looking too good at the moment. I think we, I think we might have covered this one in early December oh, yeah. when we last yeah. spoke. And um, I was looking for that break through that four dollar level, which mm. I've indicated with that horizontal line. And um, and as soon as it went through four dollars, went to four fifty really quickly. Mm. But mm. we could see that it went back to four dollars, tried to bounce and then it actually broke $4. And look, this is a stock that I had some clients in and as soon as it went back under $4, I've, I've already cut it. So, yeah. um, you know, I, yeah, look, it's and not, this it's is not a, trading yeah. well at the moment. It's interesting, so. Mike, that December was the time when Northern Beaches, mm. border closures, mask wearing, all this sort of stuff is not great for a company that's yeah. linked to casinos and shopping centers. So for the short-term play, it doesn't look encouraging. We have to hope that maybe mm. open borders, that trend we saw across November, December, early December, um, comes in again. But it's going to be a waiting time, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And uh, as I said, look, I'm out of it now. Maybe it, maybe it just finds support right here and heads back up, but maybe it goes back to $2. Honestly, I just don't know. Yeah. So um, look, as a business, good business, one to keep an eye on. But for the moment, uh, it's not one yeah, to Yeah, I totally agree, mate. Let's go to uh, another interesting one. Megaport, this mm. is a, a Bevan Slattery founded company, um, was a real darling, had a fantastic run out of March. What's it doing now, mate? So, long term trend is still to the upside, okay. um, but what we're seeing for the shorter term since that peak in August is, uh, you know, basically a, a shorter term downtrend. So, what I'm trying to indicate with these arrows is the, you know, we've got the lower highs, the lower lows. We looked at this one in early December. I, I mentioned it really needed to bounce off that sort of $13 mm. high $12 level, mm. um, which it did. But unfortunately, as we could see with that um, that downwards pointing arrow on the far right hand side, mm. what it's done is it's reversed at $15, making another um, lower high, which unfortunately is not a good sign. Mm. So it's starting to slide. Um, we'll need to see where it goes from here, so it's a it's another wait and see stock. Yeah. And this is a stock, Mike, that really benefits when Silicon Valley is rip roaring and carrying on. And of yep. course, California and the US and infection rates mm. not great for a company exposed heavily to that that tech sector. Yeah. Very interesting one. Let's go to the next one, mate. And this is a, a real speculator. Um, that's Mesoblast, and I don't expect you to get this right because this is such a, a hard stock to, yeah. to guess. But yeah, and you deal with this all the time. Mm. What what is your confidence factor when you deal with a, a company like Mesoblast? Um, look, I what I've done here is I've pulled up a ten year chart to put it in perspective. So, look, I have to be honest with you, Pete. I I don't like this this business. I don't think it's 
sort of investment grade no. um, because it's done nothing in 10 years. If you bought it at $2 for a brief period of time, you know, you made some pretty good money back in 2011. But um, look, it's just, it's gone nowhere. Even recently in the last few months, it's, it's halved in value. So I think whatever these guys are doing, if they haven't got it right in the last 10 years, I don't know, maybe... It's a speculative plaything, market. It's, it's it really? a trading stock. So, so what you need to do is you really need to run your tight stops. You know, you need to run with the momentum. Um, at the moment, it's a bit on the nose. I mean, we saw a week ago they had a positive announcement, mm. jumped up for one day, but then it got sold down yeah. again. So it's just, it's not gaining traction. I think that, um, yeah, one, one for the traders, but I think if you get a little bit too caught up in it, just pull up this 10-year yeah. chart and it just... Well, one of the reasons why I wanted to take this, a lot of younger and new traders are having a crack at mm. these sort of tech stocks, but that really puts into perspective that this is really, it's like going to the races yep. in many ways, isn't it? One yeah, day a horse think, wins, the next day it doesn't win. Yeah, exactly. And look, it's just, it's just one of those things where, you know, if you start to make a small loss or it starts to head the wrong way, just, just sell it and you come back later. Okay. Another Bevan Slattery founded company has been a beauty in its time is uh, mm. NextDC. Um, yeah, another company sort of going sideways. Mm. What, what are you thinking about next, DC, looking at this chart? Um, so again, this one is likely to see a little bit more downside. So mm. what I've circled there, um, so are the two downwards movements since the, the November peak. So um, peaked in November and then it got sold off quite sharply, which I've circled there. And mm. it tried to rally again in December only for the January sell-off to also be quite sharp. So I've circled those to highlight the way that you know, now the bears seem to be a lot more in control than they were before. So if we look to the left-hand side of the chart, we could see that when it was heading up, it actually rallied quite strongly. And when mm. it went down, you know, it wasn't too bad in comparison to, to the upwards move. So mm. the bulls are in control there. At the moment, the bears are in control. Again, this is a company that long-term is in an uptrend. I'd, I'd be happy to buy it at some stage. Mm. Yeah, not a problem. But for the moment, while the bears are in control, we'll probably get it cheaper. I don't know what level that would be. Is the $11 mark the one you'd be looking at closely? That is a very important level for it. Mm. Um, if it cracks 11, I think that'll probably trigger some yeah. some stops and you might see it swiftly move to 10. But look, we'll, we'll see what happens. Either way, I think we'll get this one cheaper. Yeah, my, my experience with this company, um, Mike, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, it tends to go for a fantastic ride and then it's, it's as though they need to build more capacity, they need to get new customers, and they go sideways for a while, yeah. uh, sl slide down, to, and then it kicks up again. So uh, I certainly believe it is a long-term company to be in. Now this is one that's obviously trouble, troubles with China. Yeah. Uh, Treasury wine estates. Are you seeing any possibility of some good news for this company? Look, I have to be honest, I'm, I'm just pretty neutral on this. I mean, we could see that it's been pretty negative for the last few years, yeah. but... Um, but the big, but really I, big drop is when China I, got stuck into them yeah. and put bans on, on their imports. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, look, I, I can't, look, I have to be honest, I can't really tell if, if um, you know, the market sentiment with this and, and the trading is, is on the bullish or the bearish side. It just seems like the market doesn't know itself yeah. what to do with this company. So look, I, I think it's a good company, but uh, you know, at what price? And looking at the chart, yeah, I have to admit, I just don't know where it's, uh, <laughs> right. where it's heading to uh, for the uh, moment. Looking at that chart, it tells me that around the $9 mark might be a reasonable bet, but it could mm. go lower and you might kick yourself. But I, I yeah. can't see it going much lower, Mike, but 
the, the chart doesn't give us any. any doesn't, doesn't give us clues. It's just gut feeling, yeah. really, isn't it? Based on the call of the company. Yeah. Let's go to the next one now. This is one that's big in the news. It's Tyro. Mm. Um, what what did it look like before the news came out um, last week that uh, they'd been having some mechanical problems with with yeah. their um, machines uh, for the small business customers? What was the company looking like before then? Yeah, it it had been on a bit of a slide. I mean, I think we looked at this one around September and, and the reason why I put those diagonal lines is because it was actually looking pretty bullish. I think yeah. I commented that did. it was tightening its range under the February high. If it breaks out, it should go to a new high. And I, mm. I remember actually buying this one um, myself on the breakout. Mm. But for some reason in October, it reversed quite sharply. I think one of the major shareholders uh, oh, sold. There, yeah, there were. There it, were a number took, of, uh, took some shares, so yeah. I actually sold out because that just the way it just couldn't move to a new high yeah. was a bit of a concern. I'm not saying any of that's in relation to what's happening no. recently, of course, but um, unfortunately since then it's it's been on a bit of a slide, and um, and then we've had what's and border closures wouldn't help a company that's involved in hospitality that's, and stuff like that's that right. as well. So the the downward trend to me is quite understandable. And then the the, the mm. most recent tumble in case you've missed it, was linked to um, a short seller who put out a um, report. Um, they're based overseas, so they can't be sued uh, by the company. Um, that report was quite negative uh, for Tyro, and the market has re responded, as the market will do. We're now waiting for the company to respond. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether this uh, hedge fund um, or this short seller uh, who, who would like to think itself to be a whistleblower or a sheriff in the market is absolutely right or maybe is wrong and just trying to make money as all short sellers mm -hmm. do. So it's going to be an interesting story to see it unfold. I guess, so therefore, reading that chart, if, if it's mm. seen that their accusations aren't, aren't well founded, we could actually see a bounce back, but we then would have yeah. to deal with the fact that it's a company in the hospitality sector. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we've and we've seen plenty of examples. Um, you know, Credit Corp's one that springs to mind that was a target a few years ago, mm. and as soon as they rebuffed the short seller, mm. it it went higher, and yeah. um, there was no looking back. And corporate so didn't corporate management travel copper for a long that's, time? That's right. And it seems that the market's completely ignored that uh, that short seller's pretty yeah. aggressive assessment of that company. Yeah, so it can go either way. So yeah. I wouldn't. Um, yeah, it'd just be interesting to see. What it becomes a speculator's up. play um, for, um, I guess it will be uh, Wednesday before we can play this. I think mm. there'll be a statement coming out either today or on Tuesday. Either way, it's going to be very interesting to see how Tyro plays out. Finally, zip. Zip like the... Yep. Uh, my, my question, well, let, let me tell what you're seeing from zip first, because we know it's it's number one rival after pay yep. is, is killing it at the moment. Killing it. That's right. Look, um, the chart's looking quite constructive. So to me, it looks like it's starting to uh, get a move on here. So mm. I know Afterpay's killing it. And look, we've I've got clients in Afterpay. And part of it's just because Afterpay is the one that always ends up on the front papers as yeah. well, not yeah. not Zip. I mean, yeah. rightly or wrongly, that's where the, the money seems to be flowing. Yeah. But um, yeah, another one that, um, uh, another stock in that space that we picked up last week uh, Sezzle, that started mm. to move, uh, and now looking at Zip, it looks like this one wants to um, mm. start to make a move now as well. And if you could see where it is at the moment, in the mid fives, just under six dollars, mm. um, it has been as high as ten. I mean, if it tries to 
make any sort of catch up and can only do half of that. I mean, you've You'd got a yeah. decent little move on your hands. Yeah. So look, it's early days, but my reading is that it's it's very close to making a move. Well, one of the reasons why I, I, I didn't get on board after pay, I always figured that there would be a, um, a regulatory impact. You know, mm. eventually they say, oh no, this is, should be governed by the Credit Act. And so far, so good for Afterpay, and that's yeah. why its share price has gone up. But also, you often see um, there's a halo effect, that if the, the market leader's doing really well, mm. the second one behind can actually benefit from it, even though not yeah. to the same extent. And you think that's some of the payoff as well? Half the pay's doing so well, therefore Zip gets this halo effect? Yeah, that's, that's correct, because we saw that, um, and the name escapes me, sorry, but the company in the US that listed last week yeah, the buy now, that's it, yeah. the buy now, pay later um, company. So yeah. a lot of the moves and it's a number, in the last... It's a number two to after pay in America, despite e the fact exactly. that so, it's American-based. So a lot of the moves last week had to do with their stellar debut. Yeah. Um, Up 98%, wasn't it? Yeah, some, something. something like that. But, but, as, but as we know, Zip is um, pretty well uh, entrenched in the retail space. I mm. mean, you know, I bought a few things over the weekend online and... Um, you know, Zip seemed to come up every time as one of the options to, okay. to pay for it. So we know that Zip's in there. They're, yeah. they're well into, into that space. Mm. Um, just the share price has been lagging. But it looks like now it's starting to um, play some catch up. Okay. So that's all the, all the companies that I wanted you to look at. Uh, I, I haven't put you on notice for this, but is there a company recently that you've seen and mm. you did really like the chart and, and you're keeping your eye on it? Uh, look, I'll, I'll be a bit broader than that. I, I just still really like the resources sector. Mm. So I still really think that that, will, that sector will do well mm. this year. And to be honest, anything that's in the materials space, energy, uh, in the last several weeks, mm. I mean, just pull up a list, throw a dart, and mm. it's gone up yeah. like, really well. So a lot of these, you know, even the lower-valued lower, the lower ones in that sector are really, you know, they're breaking out now, yeah. volume's coming in. Mm. You know, commodities are, they, they trade in cycles as, as we know. So, mm. you know, Wood, Woodside hasn't done anything in 15 years, but mm. you, you have to trade the cycle and be out when the cycle goes against yeah. you. And we're, we've got the positive cycle at the moment um, for commodities, you know, whether it's rare earths, lithium, or you're looking at the big boys like BHP and, and, and Fortescue. I think yeah. you I think for the investors, if they look in that space and find a company they like, yeah. I think they'll do well. Nice momentum there. Uh, yeah. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. That's Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. Well, that was Mike Gable looking at the technical side of the stocks that we're interested in. And now we've got Julia Lee from Berman Invest for her view on these respective companies. Julia, great to see you. Great to see you, Pete. Okay, Julia, I know it's a, a, a bit of a long list, but uh, I always value your judgment. Let's kick off with the, this, in a sense, in an alphabetical kind of way. A2 Milk, what do you think? 
Look, AT Milk's been a darling for so long, but it's in a downgrade cycle at the moment. So I tend to avoid companies when the earnings momentum is negative together with the share price action. So I'd be steering clear of this one until there was a clear path back to growth again. The problem with AT Milk has been uh, with COVID-19, there's been a shutdown in terms of borders. There hasn't been international students, international visitors really visiting Australia. So that Daegu channel has been under a a lot of pressure it's basically broken down and that's impacted its other channels into China and China being such a strong engine of growth for A2 has meant that we've seen a number of downgrades coming through for A2 mil in particular the December downgrade was much bigger than what the market was anticipating so I tend to try and steer clear of these downward cycles I do think that companies uh, business cycles they all tend to move up and down but unfortunately with A2 it's in the midst of moving down at the moment. Yeah and, and many of the stocks that I'll be asking you to talk about today are in that kind of um, phase aren't they? Let's go to a, one of my favourites Elmo. Yeah, this is uh, one that I like I feel like we're speed dating stocks at the moment Pete <laughs> yeah, but uh, Elmo's Elmo's a good one. If we have a look at what it does, it's in the area of software. So HR, and it's just recently made a number of acquisitions. So one in terms of the payroll space and expenses. So I think it's called web expenses. And the other one is Breathe, which is in regards to HR. Uh, there's upside from these acquisitions. And this is if Elmo manages to or incorporate it into its current user base to use these other software uh, tools that it's acquired. Um, so there's the possibility of cross-selling and that would be a positive for Elmo. Look, I think it's worth around about $9. So I think there is potential upside from here. And I think this is a stock that could easily grow at about 30%. The flip side is that if it can't um, I guess, make use of its acquisitions, that would be a negative. And we've seen time and time again companies on the ASX that acquire companies unable to see the type of growth uh, once they've acquired the, the companies. Mm. And in fact, it te tends to be a losing proposition. I hope that's not the case for Elmo. I think the acquisitions it ma has made fits nicely in and it will be able to cross sell its products to the customer base. So looking for growth here and those acquisitions starting to play a role in that growth. Okay, on the subject of speed dating, here's a company that you took me out on a blind date with, EML Payments, many, 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 uh, months ago. What do you think about EML now? Because it is a company that really needs the opening up trade, doesn't it? Sure. Um, we sold EML um, and the reason we sold it is not because we don't like the company, but what's happening over at the moment in Europe in terms of um, lockdowns and the COVID-19 situation. So one of the things that is coming up on the Australian market is a half year reporting season. So December, January is the time where I really go through the portfolios and have a look through what companies may come out with downgrades or disappointing information and which ones might come up with upgrades and good information. So unfortunately, we cut EML payments at around $4 because of what was happening in Europe. It's not that I don't like the company. It's not that I don't like the long-term story. It's just that in the short term over the next 12 months, I think that earnings will be under pressure. And if we do see a big downgrade, I'd probably look uh, look through that downgrade and look at getting it at cheaper levels when it does become more attractive because the COVID-19 situation is just a temporary situation.
innovation. And I do like the uh, products that uh, EML has, and I do like the business model. But unfortunately, Europe is such a big part of its business as well as shopping malls. And we know that both have been under pressure because of COVID-19. Okay. And I guess if, if you're a long-term investor and and not someone who has to show off by doing well all the time like you. <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> yes be... then it'd be a long-term hold, but um, the COVID-19 situation, yeah. it just means that um, ball has been kicked further down the road. Um, so just when the shopping malls were opening back up, you're back into shutdown another, again. So. Another company you used to like was uh, Megaport, and it's tr kind of struggling with the same kind of problem in California and Silicon Valley and whatever. So what's your, your latest take on Megaport? Yeah, I, th I still think that long-term Megaport around $13 or under $13, it still looks quite attractive. And look, this is a company that has been benefiting in a number of ways from signing on new customers, signing on new data centers, and also increasing the amount of revenue it makes per customer. Now, most of its growth has really come from North America. I think it's about 68% that we've seen over the last year coming from North America. So in North America, we are still seeing uh, the COVID-19 situation getting worse and so I guess data center there's still quite an appetite uh, in terms of that but of course we have seen a rotation away from some of the technology stocks so the sentiment isn't necessarily positive in these areas so look I still think that there's a long-term story here but you know me Pete I like to see both the price as well as earnings momentum pointing in the right direction and I do tend to be a bit of a chicken when the share price starts to fall so um, I guess in terms of just the share price action in, in environments like this, I do like to look at either a stop loss situation where if the share price falls more than 10% from highs, I start taking profits just to ensure that I'm locking in some of those nice profits that have been made. Okay, let's go to one of your old favourites, uh, Megablast. Oh, sorry, what was that? Metablast. Oh, Mesa Blast. Yeah, Mesa Blast has, had a, has been a really tough one um, for our portfolio. It's the smallest port, uh, holding in our portfolio, so it is quite speculative. Um, look, in terms of Mesa Blast, I guess the, the question to ask is um, sort of what are you looking for from the stock? Is it short term or long term? And in terms of Mesa Blast, unfortunately, a lot of the news flow has been negative, and that means that the um, that the commercialization of some of its products have, have been pushed out and there's a, the uh, prospect of more costs and a, an extra phase three in areas like a chronic, the chronic heart disease, which is likely. Um, and now we're just waiting the results of the uh, lower back pain as well. So look, the momentum here is negative. Um, I'm holding out for the lower back pain results, but uh, that one of course is also high risk given that we've seen a string of bad news coming through here. And given that it's probably going to have to do another phase three in the chronic heart failure, it probably means at some point there'll be another capital raise as well. So I'm hoping for a bit of good news this month in terms of the, the lower back pain. But unfortunately, this one is one that's been hit hard. So it is higher risk at the moment. And the time frame for commercialization of some of its drugs have been pushed out probably for another 18, 24 months in areas like graft versus host as well as the chronic heart disease. Mesoblast is looking like a racehorse that never wins when you want it to. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to uh, one of our old favourites historically, and that's Next DC. 
This next list is looking at the area of, of data centers. And look, we have seen a bit of a rotation away from the higher tech plays into more of the value plays. And look, I think that the growth will still be here for next DC. I just think that the more lofty valuations have sort of disappeared from the sector, given that investors are focusing more on recovery and economic recovery. So I guess if we have a look at how our portfolios uh, are at the moment, um, Previously, we did have a, a large number of technology companies in there, but at the moment, the biggest weighting for our portfolio is in the area of miners, um, energy stocks, as well as banks. Um, and it's really just the reflation trade or the return to economic growth and just riding on that uh, cyclical upswing in 2021. Yeah. Let's go to Treasury wine estates. <laughs> well, one thing I'm not very good at, uh, Pete, is uh, I'm very good at drinking wine, but I'm not very good at politics. And unfortunately, I think you have to be good at politics to get a gauge of Treasury wine estates, because at the moment, Treasury wine estates is paying a tariff of 169% into China. And of course, that not only clouds its short-term picture, but its longer-term growth prospects prospects as well. This can very quickly, I guess, uh, be a positive story if we see those tariffs being lifted. But that, of course, is a political story. And it's all about the relationship between Australia and China. And because I can't predict that, um, I'd be pretty cautious here with Treasury wine estates. I have to say that it looks kind of interesting around that $9 mark, but without a positive catalyst, um, it, it doesn't really look like there's much to do here except um, have that negative outlook as well as the negative short-term. And I guess in the short term, what's going to happen is that there's this excess inventory that they would have sold into China, but they can't find a home for at the moment. And there's a cost of finding a new home for that inventory um, and also the possibility that they don't find a new home and they have to destroy inventory because, of course, some wines are, are made to drink now and some are made to seller. And unfortunately, for the one for the wine that's made to drink now, well, that's the part that's going to really hurt for Treasury wine estates, not only because it it will cost more to find it a new home, but also probably because a lot of the labels have already been stuck onto the bottles in Chinese, which makes it even more difficult to find it a home in another country. I guess after you've had a few bottles of Grange, you don't care whether it's in Chinese or English, um, do you? <laughs> okay, let's go to the other one. Of course, you're not talking about Grange, you're talking about stock, stock that's not like Grange. Let's go to Tyro now, victim of a... Um, uh, a short seller at the moment, and we're, we're awaiting for information from the company. What, what do you think about Tyro now? Yeah, I mean, the reason I like Tyro is because it, it, it's a smaller, more nimble company, which is technology-based, so it should be uh, operating more efficiently than some of the large incumbents like the big four banks. But as this latest outage has shown, uh, you know, they haven't been very nimble and actually it's, it's been a pretty painful process. Um, I went down to my local shops uh, last week and I tried to buy a sausage roll and a coffee and there was a big sign in the front saying um, our Tyro payment system is down so cash only and it was interesting that they, they actually named the terminal. Mm. And usually if this was to happen I think with the more traditional merchants you'd see uh, the, another terminal being delivered in 24 hours but the next time I went to go get my coffee a couple of days later and my sausage roll the sign was still up and they were only taking cash. So when you're a small business like that um, mm. it, it's pretty painful. Luckily this particular coffee shop was right next to a Commonwealth Bank ATM so I could just withdraw cash. 
But if you're stuck without access to an ATM nearby, then your business is really going to take a hit. And if I was one of those small business owners, I'd be trying to look up Square or even one of the big four banks to try and get a terminal delivered as quickly as possible because the longer that payment system is down, the longer that impacts on revenue. So unfortunately, I think this is a major event and they would have lost uh, quite a few customers in terms of this event as well. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. Let's finally go to Zip. Yes, well, we know that the buy now, pay later space is roaring ahead and it looks like consumers aren't in too bad a space. In fact, today we saw updates coming through from the retail space and we heard from JB Hi-Fi, which we do own in the portfolio as well as Super Retail, which we used to own and we should still own in the portfolio. So look, sales are going really well, Black Friday sales, the Christmas period, um, and especially here in Australia. So that should bode well in terms of the buy now, pay later space. Usually if I'm investing in this space, so I'd prefer to keep to the big ones in this space. And look, we've seen Afterpay just being added to the ASX 20, so I'd probably go after an Afterpay. But there are some pretty lofty valuations in this space, and that means that I would just monitor it very carefully and have some stop losses in play or something of the type. So if the share price did fall significantly from the highs, that I'd be out pretty quickly. And Afterpay shares today hit an all-time record on the Australian share market once again before finishing lower. Yeah, isn't it interesting that UBS has a, uh, a rating, uh, an assessment of Afterpay at $30. What, mm. what do those guys know that we don't know? Yeah, and, and I guess this is the difficulty when the company is not making a profit. Well, how do you value it? Do you mm. value it on users um, and growth? And I guess it's this whole Amazon model that uh, these companies are trying to replicate where they're looking at increasing the number of users before before trying to concentrate on making a profit. In the case of Afterpay, it is pretty big now on the Australian market. The number one risk, I think, for Afterpay is that it gets classified as a credit company, so it's subject to more regulations um, as Visa and MasterCard and the financial institutions are. At the moment, it's not classified in that space, but if it was, I think it'd take a, a pretty big hit. But for the time being, it looks like it's business as usual. I just keep an eye out on the regulatory environment because that's what I see as number one risk here. Julia Lee from Berman Invest, thanks for giving us um, uh, access to your wonderful knowledge in what we would call our speed dating example <laughs> of our relationship. Thanks for coming to the program. So Pete, I guess I only matched with Elmo then. <laughs> that, that's okay, that's all right. We don't, the bottom line is we don't expect you to uh, love stocks every week, but next week we'll get the ones you do love. Sounds great. Thanks, Cheer Pete. Cheers. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, ten years and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. 
Well, that was Julia Lee, and now for a change of pace, we're going to go to Paul Rickard from The Switch Report. Paul has recently put together his group of uh, companies, his income portfolio. He uh, looks at this from time to time, tweaks it and puts some in and takes some out and changes the weightings. Let's just see what couple of stocks he thinks look pretty good for income terms in 2021. Paul? We've got to say, Peter, uh, that the banks and the major resource companies look pretty good for income this year, particularly, you know, your BHP and your EOs, but a lot of risk there, of course. Mm. So let's look at some uh, stocks outside the banks and and resources and Telstra. So uh, look, here are three. The first one is uh, Charter Hall uh, Long Whale uh, REIT. That's uh, Long Whale means it has uh, buildings that have a very long tenant. In other words, 10 plus years is the sort of term of the tenancy. And they won't, hopefully they won't go away and they'll keep on paying their rent. Yeah, and there are different things. It's, it's um, you know, things like, you know, Telstra exchanges, you know, telco exchanges, convenience stores, hmm. um, you know, high-quality tenants where you have very long-term uh, rental uh, right. arrangements. Okay. So you don't have a lot of tenant risk. Uh, you don't have too much property risk in the short term. Uh, look, that these sort of long-whale REITs were really popular last year, as, particularly as the rest of the office market uh, got hit pretty hard. Yep. So they've come back a little bit. They probably got overpriced last year, but uh, the Charter Hall one has has come back a bit, it's had it under a couple of ra- raisings, mm-hmm. but around $4.50, yielding about 6.5%. That's unfranked. Right. But I think there's a lot of risk still with traditional property trust this year because I think the outlook for office is still pretty yeah. uncertain, Peter. Everyone and wants it, to work from home. Everyone wants to work from home. I think some and retail is also going to pay the impact of uh, of the online shopping boom. So I, I think there's still it's not a sector I really like, but I think if you are looking for something in the in the property sector, mm. uh, there are a couple of these uh, type of stocks that have got you know quite different assets, very secure uh, rental agreement arrangements. And I think there's reasonable value when you're getting a six and a half percent yield. It's funny you just talk about you know the the value of businesses that depend on people being in offices. I was listening to the cricket as I was driving around mm. today, and the text. As you do, Peter. That's right. Yeah. Well, only because I want to know what's going on in the world, Paul. And the texts that were read out on the ABC of people who were talking about having a sickie and all that sort of stuff as to what's the last day of the cricket in Brisbane, and I thought to myself. There's a whole pile of people who are working from home and no one's really watching them. That's right. They can easily be one eye on the cricket and one eye on their, their marketing program for their office. This is going to be a very interesting impact. Yeah, on the it's economy. going to be a real challenge. I mean, I think the, uh, whereas employers initially, everyone said, oh, that's great, everyone working from home, it's, so, it's really yeah. good for productivity. Most big employers are realise it ain't that good for productivity, and particularly things like collaboration mm. and, and uh, innovation. It actually, you know, there's a lot of the, the old water cooler, com, you know, conversation yeah. is still pretty important, and uh, and people need to have fun at work. And it's not it's, working from home is uh, is pretty tough. So yeah. I think a lot of the employers have changed their mind and actually want to get their teams back. And mm. uh, I, I think they're gonna we're gonna get us some bit of a hybrid here, Peter. Yeah. So yeah. that's why I think it's the office market uh, still has some challenges. Yeah. So I think in that sector, that's the, the type of stock I like. And I think golf clubs would hate this conversation. They're doing so well. Let's go to the second stock. Okay, let me give you what I describe as a very uh, secure stock. That's Medibank Private. I'm a huge fan of Medibank at the right price. It's come off a little bit. Mm. It's around about $2.91. I think between sort of $2.60 and $2.90, it's okay buying. There's right. not a lot of downside risk on it. Good thing about Medibank is that uh, despite being in health insurance, and the challenges of health insurance, it's actually increasing market share. And for the number one player in the market, they've got 30 health insurers to increase market share, however however tiny, Mm. that means they're doing something right. It means they're actually getting customers. And they've got about uh, 
almost 30% market share. So they're doing something right. Um, look, pretty steady, uh, a yield of about 4%. That's fully frank. Uh, the government gave a permission to increase premiums a bit more than expected. Uh, I still think the you know, health insurance isn't as bad as people make so out to be. So 4% before, Frank, yes, well over 5%. Yeah, and I think that's for an income player, not a lot of downside risk. I reckon mm. that's a pretty safe and steady stock and an alternative to uh, a lot of the others. Okay, there. let's go to the final one. Look, the final is a bit higher risk. This is Orison, Peter. This is the old Queensland National Rail that uh, does all, all the haulage, owns the in many cases responsible for hauling the coal across Queensland and parts of WA and also owns the track network. And does the Premier allow them to go across the border? With yeah, I'm not sure where they go across the border, but they do have operations now in, in WA and also New South Wales. Yeah. So about 85% roughly is still coming out of Queensland. Mm. Uh, it's been sold off a bit because, you know, obviously there's been some challenges around the coal trade, you know, yeah. coal imports to, to, to China. Most of the coal they actually haul is actually metallurgical coal. That's not really been caught up in this. So it's not a climate change type it's, coal? It's not a climate change type coal. You, you can't make steel. If you want, people want steel really without a metallurgical yeah. coal. Uh, so it got knocked down a bit by that. Um, it, ha it did have the confidence to give guidance. The yield is pretty attractive, Peter, at $3.85. It's about 6.7%. That's fully franked, yeah, okay. you know. Um, so, you know, it, it does get caught up in the resource resource basket yeah. a little bit. That's you, why you but, say it's a bit risky. But you can also say there's upside there as well. Because it got knocked off with all, when, uh, you know, whole the, the, the threat around trade with China, people got a bit bearish on coal. Uh, it, it did get knocked off, it was around about $4.25. So there is upside, I think, as, as we see, if those commodities, you know, we've seen a very cold start to the winter in Northern Asia. Mm. You know, we've, we've seen a lot of huge demand for, for, for thermal coal uh, and other things in, in Northern Asia in the last couple of weeks. So there is upside, Peter, as well, uh, apart from the yield. And I think that uh, when you're getting paid 6.7, 6.8% fully frank, yeah. Uh, there's, it's you know, a stock that adds up to the justification for the yeah. risk. And, ha and how many stocks do you have in your portfolio? Yeah, look, typically, Peter, I look around about 20. You know, I always think portfolios under 10 stocks, not enough diversification. Once you get much over 25, it's pretty hard to manage, keep track of. Mm. So I aim for around about 20. That sort of also mathematically comes out at a reasonable spot. But, uh, you know, I think the, the, the important thing is to have, you know, a plurality of sectors. Mm. So you're not too exposed. There are obviously some sectors which it's very hard to get income stocks. I mean, the two that stand out and arguably Australia's two best performing sectors over the last many years are IT, information technology, and, and, and healthcare. Yep. And sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and take a bit of stock on there and know you're not gonna get much income or zero income just to get that exposure. But it is a balance and uh, you know, I think if you've, with, when the market's yielding, you know, about three and a half percent, aiming for sort of four-ish, four and a half, four and a half percent in income is, is about the go. So, okay. uh, in, you know, you've got to bear in mind, one of the things we have seen, Peter, is that dividends have come down. This isn't just the banks, but they've come down because uh, companies have, have, you know, the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic has forced them to be a lot more conservative in payout ratios. Yeah. And a lot of those won't be going up quickly again. And also stock prices have gone up. And of course, with stock prices go up because the interest rates are so low, effectively the, the dividend yields comes down. So you've got to set your sights just a little bit lower than you might have had to a couple of years back. Exactly right. And if you want to know more about that, you can uh, have a look at the Switzer Report where Paul looks at both income and growth stocks. Coming up now is Dr. Paul Gavin, who's the CEO of Aveco Biotechnology. In our pursuit to understand the smaller companies on the Australian Stock Exchange, uh, today we're going to talk to the CEO of Aveco Biotechnology, Dr. Paul Gavin. 
Paul, thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me, Peter. All right, uh, let's just kick off by you, as someone who is the CEO of the company, explain to us exactly what this company does. Sure. Well, Aveco Biotechnology has a, a proprietary drug delivery platform, so it's called TPM. And so the company has been around for 20 years. And, and what we've historically done with our TPM is used it to increase the absorption and the effectiveness of drug products. Okay. So we, we find drug products on market that have technical deficiencies that could work better. And we reformulate them with our technology to increase their, um, their effectiveness. Okay. Is it important for anyone who, who might be a potential investor to understand what TPM actually is? Oh, absolutely. So TPM, it's our proprietary technology. It's actually, and I don't mean to get very sciencey, but it's it's a mixture of two different forms of phosphorylated vitamin E. And what happens with our technology, which is unique, is that um, when you formulate it correctly, when you put it into uh, the presence of water, it self-assembles into tiny little nanoparticles that are less than the width of a human hair, and it solubilizes and encapsulates drug molecules. And once We've dissolved and encapsulated the, those drug molecules. We can seek to enhance their absorption. Yeah. So I guess, you know, listening to your explanation, if, if you imagine you had a potentially very, very good drug, but its actual absorption into the body is not as efficient as you'd like it to be, it says a low level of efficiency, but it actually has a very good performance um, uh, history. If you can escalate the absorption factor into the body using your technology, it then becomes a better drug in a sense. Yeah, look, to be honest, there's a couple of different ways you can spend the increased absorption. So, I mean, exactly to your point, there are certain drugs under development that look to be spectacular drugs, but because their absorption is so small, they would never be able to be commercialized. And so people look for technologies that allow those products to be developed. Mm. On the other side, there are drugs that are already commercialized, which as you've said, have pretty poor bioavailability. And if you can increase the absorption, <clears throat> sorry, you can make them more therapeutic or potentially you can reduce the dose, which is a cost saving to patients. So tell us about what you tried to achieve in 2020, which of course was a, a, a struggling year for, for many businesses and, and what was actually achieved. Sure. So yeah, 2020 was a, was a real kind of seminal year for us. Um, I mean, irrespective of obviously uh, what's happening around the world, um, we sat down towards the start of the year and, and re-strategized what we were going to focus on as a business moving forward. We have sort of nearly 20 years of, of pharmaceutical products in our product portfolio that we've been working on, but we did feel that we needed something new, something that would excite the market and, and somewhere that we could identify some un, unmet need. And so in June of last year, so I became CEO in May. In June, we, we made a pitch to shareholders that we would follow two parallel lines of, of focus over the next 12 to 18 months. One was licensing our products from our existing portfolio um, of products in the pharmaceutical animal health space. And the second was to focus on a new product range around uh, enhancing pharmaceutical cannabinoids. So in the medicinal cannabis space. Okay, so um, tell us about what, what you actually achieved over 2020 and what is the likelihood that you're gonna get some positive results in 2021? Sure. So, I mean, on the technical side, so specifically around the development of the cannabinoid products, we actually 
despite the global pandemic, achieved a lot. So we, again, presented to shareholders in June. We hoped we were going to embark on a pharmaceutical development program. We were going to optimize some formulations. We were going to prove that our technology increased the absorption of cannabinoids the way we suspected that it should. And we were able to complete all of that work in the six months from June to December. And communicating that to the market actually saw a really great response on the market cap. So, I mean, we'd been very quiet on the investor relations front over the preceding few years. They really knew we had to reinvigorate uh, interest in the market. And over from, from April to December, saw our share price go up from 0.2 cents to 4.5. Such was the response that we got in respect to the cannabinoid program. Um, now, the products that we were managing, that we managed to develop over that period, we demonstrated to have such significant increases in absorption compared to how cannabinoids are currently prescribed to patients that we ran straight for clinical trials. And so we actually kicked off our first observational clinical trial just before Christmas. And we're in the process of finalizing a second, which we'll launch in the coming, it'll, it'll, we're aiming to dose patients in the next couple of months. And so we'll have two clinical trials uh, running in parallel as a direct result to the, to the gains that we made in 2020. Okay. So you're talking about cannabinoids, which a lot of people wouldn't understand what you're talking about. But it, what you're really talking about is cannabis used for medicinal purposes. And are you saying that if the results are as good as you're expecting, that a whole lot of companies in this space would want to try and access your technology? Or would you pair up only with one company that is in the space? Look, to be honest, yeah, the cannabinoid space is unique and there are a, a very wide range uh, of things that you can do in parallel to partner and derive revenue. So I guess the thing about the medicinal cannabis, the thing about cannabis, the medicinal cannabis space, I guess, for the audience, is that the cannabinoids themselves, exactly as we've touched upon, have very, very poor oral bioavailability. So only depending on the literature that you read, only three to 8% of what you consume is actually absorbed and the rest is just excreted or, or broken down in the body. Mm. This is a real problem because especially, well, not just Australia, but around the world, because it's an unregistered medicine, patients are paying out of pocket. And at the moment in Australia, the average patient accessing medicinal cannabis is paying between two to $400 a month. And that's big. One of the, the reasons the cost is so high is because they absorb so little of it. So exactly as you've said, if, if a formulation could increase the absorption, the patient could have a lower dose to save money. You could be shooting for therapeutic indications that are of, um, you know, unreachable using current uh, techniques. And it would definitely be a really commercially valuable uh, formulation. So our intent is to develop this into a pharmaceutical product. So with clinical trial support and product registration so that it can be prescribed by you know, GPs and, and potentially even um, accessed through the pharmacy. But whilst we're developing this product, there's plenty of scope to be licensing our technology to other medicinal cannabis companies for use in the unregulated medicinal cannabis space or overseas in the consumer space or the nutraceutical space. So there's... Um, there's a number of plans that we have in place to get licensing and revenue of the material and our excipient whilst we're developing the product. So in simple terms, you're keen to have your own specific product that um, you could take to the market, but you're also prepared to sell your technology to potential rivals 
who might be interested in trying to get that kind of escalated absorption rate? Well, the way the market is sort of broken down, they wouldn't technically be rivals. So if we were to develop a pharmaceutical product for a specific indication, um, you know, you'd go to your GP for whatever that might be and he might prescribe it. That's a different product to what's available in the unregulated medicinal cannabis space potentially. And as well, the way the global um, industry works with, with medicinal cannabis, it's a lot of little closed off separate isolated markets. So there's plenty of opportunity to be doing separate deals uh, one by one across the various territories. Okay. So when does the information, this vital information, um, you know, come to you and ultimately when will the market hear about it? About the clinical yeah. trial results. So the, the observational study that we've just started, that's an ongoing study. So that's in real patients uh, receiving the material and that will go for probably uh, the majority of this year. The phase one clinical trial, we're hoping to dose sort of end of uh, Q1, start of Q2. That's a relatively short phase one study and, and we would expect high level results to be available kind of mid-year. Okay. What other issues uh, is the company involved in that might have a material impact on its share price going forward? Well, as I say, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a range of licensing opportunities with some of our legacy pharmaceutical and animal health products. So we're, we're trying to license those off to, we're in ongoing discussions, which is unfortunately all the information that we can give, which I know never satisfies shareholders, but um, we're in ongoing discussions to license a range of our products uh, for various countries and territories around the world. And I mean, from our perspective, thank you, we've got a range of products that are potential licensing opportunities. So. We hope to get some of those away across um, some of our injectable products, some of our animal health products, but also in addition, obviously, to the clinical trial results, there might be additional licensing um, things to, to mention in the future about the cannabinoid space. As okay, well. so we've talked about what can go right. I always have to ask the question, well, what could go wrong that could make uh, 2021 frustrating for you? Look, to be honest, um, I mean, the clinical trials, it was it was a real ordeal getting them up and running as fast as we could in light of what's been happening around the world. But now that they're kind of off and running, they've got momentum of their own. So there's, we, with respect, I guess, to the phase one clinical trial, there's not really much that can go wrong with that. Um, the observational study, it, it, that will obviously be a function of, of recruitment rates, how, how fast we can get patients in. I mean, what can go wrong um, is more along the lines of, I guess, um, the absence of being right. So, I mean, the, the business development stuff is, uh, and the licensing is just, you know, it just takes as long as it takes. And that, that's the frustration because we know we've got, the, the discussions that we've got with people, we know they're interested in our products. We know what they, they like, what they have to offer, but given the uncertainty around the world and, and what's happening to their bottom line and everything, you know, we're in a bit of the, the lap of the gods there as to when the time is right for them to sign up. <laughs> I, think, I think every business out there who's relying on either a joint venture or a big marketing deal, is waiting for a lot of people to say yes, and a lot of people aren't prepared to say yes at the moment because there's still enormous question marks out there. Uh, I tell you what, Paul, we wish you a lot of luck, and we will be interested in, in tracking your performance over 2021. Thank you very much. That's the show for this week, and if you want help picking stocks, think about taking out our 21-day free trial of the Switzer Report. If you really need a financial makeover, on the other hand, we have a full-service financial planning business and we charge flat dollar thirds. We don't charge percentages. 
which means we don't punish you if you just happen to have a lot of money. And if you're not a subscriber to this TV show, please think about becoming one. So we can remind you when the show is ready for viewing, which might mean you'll get into a stock before it goes sky high or it starts to hurtle downwards. I'm Peter Switzer, thanks for joining us, and I'll see you next Monday or with our property show on Thursday.